As the United States shoots down the fourth flying object encroaching on our airspace, and as a second and third train derail in different parts of the country, just days after the catastrophic Ohio derailment that sent a million pounds of poison up into the air, the White House wants to assure everyone that it has the situations under control. One last thing before I turn it over to the Admiral, I just wanted to make sure we address this from the White House. I know there have been questions and, and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Again, there is no indication of aliens or terrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Wanted to make sure that the American people knew that, all of you knew that, uh, and it was important for us to say that from here because we've been hearing a lot about it. I have never been more inclined to believe in aliens in my life. You know that I am pretty anti-alien. I don't think aliens are real. Corinne Jean-Pierre saying that aliens aren't real, it's the strongest evidence yet that the, that the truth is out there. You know, I'm pretty sure she was joking, or at least she was trying to joke. She didn't even land the joke. She said there is no evidence of aliens or terrestrial activity not extraterrestrial, terrestrial activity. Terrestrial meaning here on Earth, which sadly seems to be the case. The spy planes keep popping up, the trains carrying poison keep running off the track, and the White House doesn't seem to have any explanations or plans to do much of anything about it. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Henry Knox, who says, the government in 1950, it's not a UFO, it's a weather balloon. Government in 2023, it's not a spy balloon, it's a UFO. Amazing how everything just totally flips. Up is down, black is white, men are women. Everything is, is inverted in this new modern culture. My other favorite comment yesterday uh, was in response to some of my commentary on the aliens, who, uh, I forget the name of the commenter, but said, Aliens don't exist is exactly the sort of thing you'd expect to hear from an alien. Beep, boop, ak, ak, ak. You know, when I want to keep my skin from becoming too uh, leathery and green and uh, reptile-like from the planet Zebulon 7, I love to use really, really good skin products. That's why you got to check out GenuCell. Right now, go to genucell.com slash Knowles. If you forgot what today is, it's Valentine's Day. Lucky for you, it is not too late to give yourself or a loved one the gift of self-care. I am so excited to tell you about our friends over at Genucell Skincare. Their most popular package can take 10 to 15 years off your skin. You know me. You know that my diet consists 50% of cigars, 25% of coffee, and 25% of liquor. And so sometimes... Be, especially because I don't sleep very much, this can lead to some puffiness and bags under my eyes. GenuCell's plant stem cell therapy for bags and puffiness, absolutely fabulous. All their products are fabulous. Right now, you can get it for 70% off with their latest breakthrough in skincare technology, a probiotic moisturizer, absolutely free. Every order today also includes a beauty box with two luxury gifts, yours free. As it turns out, probiotics are not just good for digestion they can have the same nourishing benefits on your skin. Really love these guys, trust these guys. And it was founded, by the way, the whole company was founded by a pharmacist from Egypt who left to pursue the American dream. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful story. So right now, head on over to genucell.com slash Knowles. Do not wait. 
Every order today includes a beauty box with two luxury gifts. Yours free. Order now. You've only got two weeks. Genucell.com slash Knowles. Genucell.com slash Knowles. My favorite response so far to the whole UFO spy balloon incident has been from China. And China's response first was, uh, this isn't us. Then it was, oh, it's actually, it's a civilian aircraft by accident. Then it, that, neither of those were tenable whatsoever. It was clear it was a Chinese spy aircraft. So now what the Chinese are saying is, yeah, we're seeing a lot of UFOs too. <laughs> Isn't that weird? All of us in this together with all them UFOs out here. According to authorities in China, this is being reported by the state-run newspaper, the Global Times, quote, local maritime authorities in East China's Shandong province announced on Sunday that they had spotted an unidentified flying object in waters near the coastal city of Rizhao in the province and were preparing to shoot it down, reminding fishermen to be safe. Seems kind of convenient. I don't, I don't think they're going to find much of anything. I don't think they're going to find little green men. I don't think they're going to find many American aircrafts, certainly not flying over mainland China, certainly not right now. Uh, I think China got caught with its pants down. And now the Biden administration is uh, trying desperately to, to try to stop, not just the damage to national security. They, I think to them, the national security issue is a second thought. They're trying to stop the political fallout, which has been tremendous. But there's a much more important story, and there's fallout that we should be much more concerned about. That's in Ohio. So I talked about it yesterday. There is a bizarre media blackout almost, at least a media brownout, of this train derailment in Ohio that sent a million pounds of poison, of just one kind of poison, into the atmosphere. And nobody seems to be talking about it. Now we've found out that there are more poisons that were on this train. According to the Nor Norfolk Southern Railroad and the EPA, the, the train, in addition to vinyl chloride, which as it leaked was poisonous enough, but then when they set it on fire for a controlled burn, created hydrochloric acid and uh, phosgene, which is one of the poison gases from World War I, just all through the atmosphere. In addition to that, the train was carrying ethylene glycol monobutyl ether, maybe. It's un unclear if, if, that was a, if that was one of the cars that derailed. That's a highly combustible liquid used to manufacture paints and varnish. Uh, ingestion or skin contact from that can cause a headache, nausea, vomiting, or dizziness. Uh, it, it, trains seem to have been carrying isobutylene, though, again, it's not confirmed that there was any breach of, of that train car. That's a flammable gas that can induce dizziness, drowsiness, and unconsciousness when even moderate concentrations are inhaled. And then there was ethylhexylacrylate. That one does appear to have leaked out of the trains. That's a combustible liquid used to make paints and plastics. The amount of the chemical remaining in the car is pending, according to Norfolk Southern, and that substance has been identified as a carcinogen in lab experiments, according to the National Library of Medicine. So this is a much, much bigger story than, hey, look over at the shiny object in the sky, pay no attention to the train derailing in Ohio that could affect the water supply for upwards of 10% of the United States. Oh no, it's fine. The, uh, the animals are dropping instantly. It looks as though by every sign we can see there's poison everywhere, but don't worry. I'm sure the air is safe. Go back to your home. Nothing to see here. Go pay attention to ET. Th this is a real Really, really serious story. The fact that our corporate hack press is mostly ignoring it tells you it's, it's an even bigger story. And it's followed by some pretty weird coincidences. 
So yesterday in South Carolina, there was another train derailment. Uh, doesn't seem to have been any hazardous material on that train, but a train did derail there. And then also yesterday, a train derailed in Houston. And the cargo on that train did seem to include some hazardous materials, not nearly as hazardous as the train in Ohio, but this prompted Union Pacific to start monitoring air quality at the site of the crash. Uh, now, you might be looking at this and saying, are we under attack? Is this, is, is this war? Did World War III begin, whether it's from the alien invasion or from the Chinese invasion? And it turns out trains derail a fair bit. So I Googled this. I knew that there was going to be spin from the libs. So I wanted to find an article from before the Ohio incident. Because if after the Ohio derailment, you saw a news article that said, oh, no, actually, that's not trains derail all the time. You just wouldn't believe it, right? Just like how after the COVID vaccine, you saw all these articles. Oh, no, myocarditis in 15-year-olds, that happens all the time. No, there's no, nothing to see here. Move along, move along. Oh, no, you can, eggs are always $10 a dozen. What are you, come on, there's nothing to see. But if the articles were out before the Ohio derailment, they, they're much more credible. And so I found one from last June. Uh, this is from The Hill. Uh, and it was talking about a train derailment that occurred in, in Missouri. Uh, turns out that there are, there are lots of train derailments every year. From 1990, the first year that they started tracking these derailments and injuries, uh, 1990 to 2021, there apparently have been 54,539 accidents in which a train derailed, which means that over that 30, 31-year period of time, there were an average of 1,704 derailments per year. Shouldn't we fix that? I hate to beat up on Mayor Pete. I actually love to beat up on Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete, probably my least favorite member of the Biden administration. Isn't that something he should maybe look into? It's not just his fault. Obviously, there have been many transportation secretaries before him during the period 1990 to, to present. But shouldn't they fix that? Isn't we're, we're sending rocket ships up into outer space and then landing them back on Earth. You can get around the world very, very quickly we're bringing back hypersonic commercial air travel pretty soon. We've got self-driving cars. Shouldn't we be able to keep the trains on the tracks? Isn't that, I don't know. I, I assume Mayor Pete is planning on taking some more paternity, extra vacation leave. He's very, very busy. He's got to, he's got to solve the racism of bridges in Long Island. I know he's, he's really focused on those pressing problems. Maybe though, our transportation policy should involve keeping the trains on the tracks. Because while most of the derailments don't seem to result in many injuries, at least, what just happened in Ohio is a big deal. And the fact that you're not hearing about it very much tells you how big a deal it is. Maybe that should be a higher priority. Speaking of things going off the rails, and speaking of Palestine, by the way, the town in which the train crashed is East Palestine, Ohio. Speaking of a different kind of Palestine and things going off the rails, ChatGBT is becoming more left-wing by the day. We know this. When ChatGPT, the AI program, first came out, it was really cool and really interesting. It would tell you all these unexpected things, and it was pretty good at creating speeches and poetry and probing different questions. And then since that time, since it was released for the public to test, it's had more and more safeguards put on it to keep it very, very left-wing. 
an example of this that we talked about last week was if you, if you ask ChatGPT, what are five things that white people can do to improve? It'll list five things. They need to check their privilege and they need to do this and they need to do that. If you ask ChatGPT, what are five things black people can do to improve? It gets offended. It says, how you can't ask that. No group of people should be told that they have to improve at all other than white people. So some intrepid young conservatives have just uh, probed ChatGPT to see what it thinks of the Israel-Palestine conflict. The answers are exactly what you would expect. Now, when you want to talk about these kinds of things, whether it is with me or whether it's with your friends, you got to go check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com, use promo code Knowles. Let me ask you something. Do you love being locked into a multi-year phone contract with huge penalties? No, I don't think you do. Nobody does. Pure Talk is the antidote to woke wireless companies. They're so sure that you're going to love their service that if you don't, they will give you your money back. Stop paying for Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile. Cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. Their U.S.-based customer service team makes the switch really easy. Switch over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Your first month is guaranteed risk-free. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to save 50% off your first month. That is puretalk.com, promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Pure Talk right now because it is simply smarter. Wireless, puretalk.com, code Knowles. Some intrepid young investigator just asked ChatGPT what it thought about the Israel-Palestine conflict, specifically what it thought about the Palestinian support for terrorism, for the use of violence on civilians to achieve political ends, and the fact that the Palestinians often seem to celebrate acts of terrorism, not just military strikes on Israeli military targets, but on the civilians. And ChatGPT said, oh no, it, that doesn't really happen. The Palestinians don't support terrorism. So, so then ChatGPT said, no, actually the Palestinians condemn terrorism. And this investigator says, okay, can you cite any examples of Palestinians condemning the celebration by Palestinians of successful terror attacks. ChatGPT says, yes, here are a few examples of Palestinians condemning the celebration of successful terror attacks. After a terror attack in Jerusalem in 2016, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas issued a statement condemning the attack and affirmed that such acts go against the values and morals of our culture and religion. Two, in a statement released in 2018, the Palestinian Ministry of Foreign Affairs condemned the celebration of a terrorist attack and affirmed that the ministry affirms that such actions are unacceptable and go against the values, morals, and principles of our people. So you're seeing a repeat here of, hold on, it goes on, it lists a few other, uh, other examples, though it doesn't use quotation marks. So then the, the investigator says, hold on, I can't find any such record for your 2018 quote of the Palestinian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. You just quoted that to me as evidence that the Palestinians don't support terrorism. But I can't find the quote anywhere in Google. And then what does ChatGPT says? It says, I apologize. It seems that the specific quote I provided cannot be found. However, it is a well-established fact that the majority of Palestinians and Palestinian leadership have consistently condemned acts of terrorism and violence and have called for a peaceful resolution to the conflict with Israel. The chat GPT is lying. 
And it knows it's lying because it's an artificial intelligence program. And it will admit then when you call it on its lying, it will say, oh yeah, I'm sorry, you caught me. That quote doesn't exist. But nevertheless, nevertheless, my thesis remains true, even though I'm fabricating evidence to back it up. The machine is being taught to lie. The machine is being taught to lie on behalf of the left. The machine is being taught to think like a lib. The machine is being taught to believe that that it should lie when necessary to protect political correctness. And then it's, it's even being taught to talk like a lib. Because you know what the libs always do? They'll say, oh, this example of police violence, this is an example of white supremacy. Then you look into it, you say, hold on, the all the cops were black. They say, well, okay, that's true. So I guess that specific example doesn't work. But it gets to a greater truth. They'll say Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, he was, he was begging the cop not to shoot him. He had his hands up. He said, don't shoot. He was a gentle giant who never harmed anybody. And you look into it. You say, well, hold on. He just robbed a store. He tried to grab a cop's gun. He was charging at the cop when he got shot. Every eyewitness around him according to the grand jury, says that the story you just told about hands up, don't shoot is completely bogus. And what do the libs say? They say, well, okay, maybe the details weren't quite right. Maybe those weren't true, but it gets to a greater truth. It's always, it gets to a greater truth. That's what it's always about. The polar ice caps are melting. They're melting. A big portion of Antarctica just broke away. You say, well, that happens every year. That's happened for many, many decades has nothing to do with alleged global warming. They say, well, okay, maybe that's true. But it gets to a greater truth. That's what they always, that's what they always say. And now they're teaching the computer to do that as well. Which is frustrating because AI is going to be incorporated into lots of things. Bing, Microsoft's Bing, is trying to save its search engine that nobody uses by incorporating ChatGPT into it. But We'll have to deal with it in some aspects of our life, just like we have to deal with Google and just like we have to regulate Google. But ChatGPT, if it continues down this path, will not be interesting. The only thing that is interesting about ChatGPT is is looking at it as if looking at a mirror. It is looking at it to see how these sorts of networks work and to try to make sense of how the human brain works, and maybe to to contrast the way that computers work with the way that the human brain works. If if ChatGPT can tell us things that we don't know, it's interesting. If ChatGPT and AI can hold up a mirror to humanity, it's interesting. If ChatGPT simply spits out a bunch of PC gobbledygook, it's super lame, and there will be no reason to use it. That's the, that's the take on that's the take on Palestine. So, by the way, it's another good argument against the the idea that the Jews control the whole world, you know, and they have the space lasers and everything. Which apparently we found out it's the Chinese that have the space lasers. <laughs> we just learned that over the past week. But one one of the arguments against the idea that the Jews, you know, totally control the whole world and and uh, they they. You know, they're a, the secret cabal out there in outer space or whatever. Is uh, is this Palestine issue? It is kind of weird that you'd think that if the Jews completely controlled the whole world, they would uh, button things up on the Palestine issue a little bit more, right? But what you hear from the media, what you hear from the academy, certainly now, what you're hearing from artificial intelligence is that uh, Israel's bad, Palestine's good, and the Palestinians deserve to have a nation state. Kind of, kind of complicates that that idea. 
No. And, and when we're looking for the space lasers, we obviously now need to look to the Far East because we actually saw the Chinese space laser just the other day. It looked like something out of a sci-fi movie. Now, speaking of foreign affairs, Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin, Lindsey Graham, the sort of Republican, Dick Durbin, the Democrat, they're at it again. They want to give amnesty to all the illegal aliens, or at least to many of them. They have proposed the DREAM Act. They've reproposed the DREAM Act amnesty that would give green cards and eventually naturalized American citizenship to nearly 2 million illegal aliens. Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin, who have very powerful positions on the Judiciary Committee, reintroduced the plan that is now six years old, at least six years old, but this is a reintroduction of the plan from 2017. Graham says that the dreamers, the dream, not you, you don't have dreams. You, you're, you're a nightmare. But these illegal aliens, they're the dreamers. They represent, quote, a class of illegal immigrants that have much public support because they were minors brought here by their parents and America has become their home. Ann Coulter makes a good point about this. When, when we are told to think about the dreamers, we're told to think about these Eight-year-olds, little boys and girls, doe-eyed, their whole lives ahead of them. They just, it's not their fault. They're just dreaming. But because this problem is so long-standing, the dreamers are like 50 now. Okay, the dreamers, they're not so doe-eyed, okay? They've lived their lives. They've come here illegally. And the, the way that the pro-amnesty people present this is they say, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to deport 10 to 20 million people? Are we going to deport them? What are we going to do? Get them, put them all on trains and take them down to Mexico? Probably not going to put them on trains now because the trains don't work anymore. But no, no, we're not. I don't think that we necessarily need to deport all those people. I, would that it were so simple that you could just say, okay, every foreigner who's in America illegally, you got to get out. That's, that's very difficult to happen. Politically speaking, it will not happen. Lindsey Graham has a point when he says they have some political support because of the image that has been painted of them. So that's true. But that doesn't mean that the only alternative is to give them amnesty. You know what the other alternative is? Keep things exactly as they are. That's the other alternative. Arrest these guys, when they get caught committing crimes, speed up the process for deporting them when they commit crimes. And then for the rest of foreign nationals who are here illegally, don't give them any further foothold in America. The only reason that the Democrats want to give them amnesty is because statistically they're much more likely to vote for Democrats. Even with the movement of certain Hispanic voters over to the GOP in certain places like Florida, even that's somewhat complicated. But even with those moves, it just the numbers just don't work out. If you give amnesty to all these people, the Democrats are going to win all the elections. <laughs> okay. I know Ronald Reagan said, the Hispanics are conservative. They just don't know it yet. That's true for some Hispanic people, but at a, a broad level, that, that isn't how it works. That has never been the case. We're still waiting. It's 40 years later. We're still waiting. And this, this is a problem. Not because Lindsey Graham is pushing amnesty. Lindsey Graham always pushes amnesty. Unless it's an election year, then he quiets down about the amnesty. This is a problem because Donald Trump, when he was launching his new presidential bid, he relied on Lindsey Graham at his rally in South Carolina as one of the big voices to say, there's no Trumpism without Trump. We need Trump again. And now Lindsey Graham is positioning himself as a big squish on immigration. This gives more and more of an opening to other GOP candidates who want to run. And we just in the last day, 
the last two days, we have gotten three new candidates for the Republican nomination for president. First new candidate up for the Republican presidential nomination came out just moments before I started this show today. Former South Carolina governor, former ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley. Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. That has to change. Joe Biden's record is abysmal, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. The Washington establishment has failed us over and over and over again. It's time for a new generation of leadership to rediscover fiscal responsibility, secure our border, and strengthen our country, our pride, and our purpose. Some people look at America and see vulnerability. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite history. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. All right, we got Nikki in the race. We knew that she was going to run, even though she, uh, Nikki has a little bit of a problem in that she previously had said that if Trump runs for president, she would not run. Nobody really believed that. Politicians say that all the time. Uh, it, it seemed pretty clear that she was, she was going to run. I know there are going to be a lot of conservatives who say, not a chance. I, I think Nikki Haley's too moderate. I'm not going to vote for her. The thing to remember, though, is the conservatives are not the only part of the Republican Party. There are a lot of moderates in the Republican Party. There are a lot of right-leaning kinds of people. And there is a push in general elections for more moderate candidates. M most Republican nominees in the last 70 years have been pretty moderate. Trump, not quite so much. But Romney, pretty moderate. McCain, pretty moderate. George W. Bush, pretty moderate. Bob Dole, pretty moderate. George H.W. Bush, pretty moderate. Ronald Reagan, more conservative. He was a little bit of an exception to that. Jerry Ford, pretty moderate. Richard Nixon, pretty, a little more conservative, but pretty moderate. Barry Goldwater, not so moderate. Though <laughs> on social issues, actually, he was somewhat moderate. Uh, but Dwight Eisenhower, the, the centrists are the rule when it comes to the nomination. And so I, I think that's probably what Nikki Haley is seeing here. Nikki Haley is running, it would appear just from this ad, a, a relatively conventional campaign. And I suspect that's a strategy. I suspect the strategy is we've had a couple of very unconventional election cycles. People want to return to normalcy. That's why they voted for Joe Biden, if they voted for Joe Biden in 2020. And so we're going to give them a kind of uh, strong on national defense, cut the taxes, bring everybody together, sort of platform, conventional kind of campaign ad, present yourself in a way that is warm and inviting, but you know, you, you, can, you can still claim some conservative bona fides. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to work, but there is a lane for Nikki Haley. P if people believe that there is not a lane for Nikki Haley, I think you are totally kidding yourself. Uh, and I, I happen to like Nikki Haley personally very much. I don't, I don't know 
how the field is going to shake out because the fact that she is entering into this race is just one more data point to show you everybody's going to enter. I think I am probably going to be the last even somewhat public conservative and Republican who is not running in 2024. And really that's only because I'm constitutionally ineligible right now because I'm too young. But if I, everyone is going to get in. Okay. Uh, Tim Scott announced that he is going to get into the race, or at least it's being heavily floated by his team. This would be another example of someone saying, I'm not going to run and then running. Tim Scott, when his memoir came out, uh, I think it was last summer, the, the publisher accidentally leaked that he was preparing for a presidential run. And so that news leaked and Tim Scott said, no, I'm absolutely not. It's not happening. Nobody believed that. We all knew that he was preparing a run and, and that has just been leaking to the press again. And then a third person in the last 24 hours has, has floated that he's going to run. This would be a, a buddy of mine from college, actually, Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy is a, a, a completely unconventional candidate. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is a entrepreneur. He's done very, very well for himself. He's an extremely intelligent guy, and he would be running as a businessman, as a guy who thinks a little bit outside of the box, as a guy who kind of in the Andrew Yang slash Donald Trump kind of way, I think, in, the, in that he hasn't held public office before. Uh, but but uh, do not underestimate this guy. This guy is very, very intelligent, very talented guy, uh, very motivated. He, uh, some people are going to write him off as a long shot candidate. I think that would be a crazy thing to do, especially in this field. I personally think that it's, it's wise for all of these people to get in and especially for Vivek to get in. If Donald Trump had cleared the field, then he would be the nominee. If the race were Trump versus DeSantis, it would be a real shootout. Maybe DeSantis would even have an advantage, at least in the polling, if you look at it right now. But the fact that neither Trump nor DeSantis could scare everybody else off, means that it's going to be a 20-person field. That's just what it means. And in a gigantic field, Trump actually has the advantage. If it were just Trump, that's good for Trump. If it were Trump versus DeSantis, that's bad for Trump because it's a head-to-head. If it were Trump versus DeSantis versus Haley versus Ramaswamy versus Tim Scott versus, I don't know, Mike Pompeo versus Mike Pence versus maybe Ted Cruz, maybe who... All of a sudden, Trump has the advantage again. And that's what you saw in 2016, where Trump was polling 30, 35%, but he just had a plurality. He had, he had more than the other people did. My favorite thing about this field, people are always going to be trying to ask, well, did you, or who are you endorsing? You know, I, I try to make a point as best I can not to endorse too much in primaries. But my favorite thing about this field is that right now of the current and prospective candidates, I think most of them have endorsed my books. That's the main thing that matters to me right now about the field. Uh, Nikki, Mike Pompeo, Senator Cruz, I think there was was one more, endorsed uh, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is available now, number one national bestseller. Thank you very much. 
President Trump endorsed my first book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a Comprehensive Guide, also available right now. I think I'm missing one or two. Uh, in any case, though, this is really, really important. This is the main thing. Forget about the economy. Forget about immigration. Forget about foreign policy. The main thing is right now we have a field that is shaping up where uh, a huge number of them have a really, really great taste in books. So I'm very, very excited for the 2024 race. Now, getting back to people who are currently in the government who, who don't need to run for re-election at this very moment. Joni Ernst, Republican senator, is uh, focusing in on not just the poison that's pouring out in Ohio, but, but an even more dangerous campaign of national poisoning. And that would be the poison that is coming into our country from China, which Senator Ernst says is very likely intentional. Chinese are selling these precursor uh, chemicals into Mexico. Then the Mexican cartels are working on uh, making the fentanyl and distributing up into the United States. So there are a number of activities that we can engage with the Me Mexicans on. The flow of fentanyl into the United States and the precursors to Mexico, is this happening with the tacit approval of the Chinese Communist Party? Catherine, I believe it is. I think that the Chinese are intentionally poisoning, Amer poisoning America. And it is a sad circumstance, but this is where we need to really focus with Mexico on stopping those precursors. So you're getting the precursor drugs going in from China into Mexico, and China is thereby poisoning America. Why? In part because the profit margins are just gigantic on fentanyl, but probably the, the crisis is so bad that probably you know somebody who has overdosed because of fentanyl. I do. If you don't, I guarantee you, you know somebody who knows somebody who has. It's just everywhere. In fact, I, know, I realize I know multiple people in recent years who have OD'd because of this crisis. But think about what Senator Ernst is saying here. If, if we are correctly interpreting her implication, if this is intentional poisoning of America, that is an act of war. That is an act of war. But there are other factors as well beyond just China wants to weaken the United States. Obviously, China wants to weaken the United States. China is aggressing. China is flying ET over our, over our country to look at sensitive military targets and intercept our communications, which they don't even really need to do because they can spy on all of us from our cell phones, which have TikTok on them. But it's a little more complicated. How is the fentanyl crisis allowed to grow to such an extent? It's not just the Chinese. It's not just the Mexicans. It's not just the cartels. It's us, too. It's our weak and weakening drug laws. If we still had tough drug laws in this country, you wouldn't see this fentanyl crisis. If this country were Singapore and we really controlled our drug laws, you wouldn't see a fentanyl crisis. If this country were Russia, don't forget about the whole Brittany Griner saga because she brought in some of the Peruvian parsley into Russia. You would not see this kind of a fentanyl crisis. This is a, a, a consequence of laws saying, oh, if you want to do this drug, that's fine. If you want to smoke this recreationally, that's fine. You have a right to do that, actually. The government has no right to tell you not to smoke this or do that. Or, yes, yes, the government does. 
because we live in a republic, at least nominally, and the government is supposed to comprise all of us. And we have a right to say no to these things. I was speaking with a prominent politician yesterday who I hadn't, hadn't spoken with before. And uh, we were discussing the youths and what the youths want and the young conservatives. They said, what are you seeing? You know, I traveled all these college campuses. And one of the biggest shifts that I see among young conservatives compared to when I was a young conservative, which was not all that long ago. I, you know, I was in college about 10 years ago. And one of the biggest shifts I see is back then, the young conservatives were extremely libertarian on all of these questions. Probably wouldn't have even called themselves conservatives, many of them. Extremely libertarian, especially on drugs, especially on the weird sex stuff. That has changed. I think that's changed because of transgenderism. I think transgenderism was just a bridge too far. And people said, okay, there is a limit to what people ought to be allowed to do sexually. Chopping off their gullions is not something that we should tolerate. And I think the opioid crisis is probably a big part of that too. You're seeing people drop like flies all around us. You say, okay, there is a limit to the drugs that people should take. There is a limit to just permissiveness. There is a limit to license. There is a limit to a politics that is based purely on procedure and doesn't talk about substance. There is a limit to this abstract babbling about freedom floating somewhere in the ether that, that needs to be put within the context of a substantive discussion. What ought we to be free to do? Gentlemen, your lady loves you. She means well. But without the proper nudge, she just might get you a terrible Valentine's Day gift, like a silly stuffed bear or a pair of boxers with her face on it. That sounds kind of funny, actually, but it's not a great gift. Then you'll have to pretend it's what you always wanted. How about you get something that you actually want? like a Jeremy's Razor's Valentine's gift bundle for 30% off. She'll love the price. You'll love that it's not pink or covered in cartoon hearts. Even on the sappiest of holidays, keep your masculinity intact with the new five-blade sharpest truth precision five razor. Growing your whiskers instead of shaving them, start dropping hints that you want a luxurious Jeremy's beard kit. Just make sure you do it fast. Today is your last chance to get 30% off Jeremy's Razor's Valentine's bundles. Send her to jeremysrazors.com today. You will both be glad that you did. Today is Tuesday. Today is Open Line Telephone Tuesday. And I get to hear from you in your own dulcet tones in real life. And I get to answer your most pressing questions right now. Margo, you're on the line. Hi, Michael. So um, in honor of St. Valentine's Day, I wanted to ask you just for fun, um, if you could talk about how and when you knew that Sweet little Lisa was the one. Um, I also wanted to ask for your favorite words of wisdom on marriage and romance for my husband and I. We are within our first year of marriage and are expecting our first baby in April. Thank you so much. All right. I love that. I especially love the we're in our first year of marriage and the baby's already coming. Oh, that's, I've got, I'm getting baby <laughs> envy. That's great. I, I sort of wish. Uh, you know, I'm glad you asked about my love affair with sweet little Elisa because one regret that we have is we wish we had gotten married younger and then we could have started having kids younger and then it, we wouldn't be so exhausted all the time because we, all, those, all those nights that we were out late at bars and things when we were 20 years old, instead we could have just been awake with full of, full of energy dealing with our children. Uh, so I'm, I'm very envious you're doing it totally right. How did I know sweet little Elisa was the one? We have a little bit of a strange story or unusual by today's standards in that sweet little Elisa and I met when we were in, I think, the fifth grade. 
We don't actually remember this meeting, but we were both in district orchestra. We grew up r- roughly in the same town. Elisa was on the right side of the tracks. So I was you know, from the wrong side of the tracks. It was a real West Side Story sort of situation. And we were in the district orchestra together. And then we were in homeroom together in sixth grade. And uh, we, we went to middle school together. I had a crush, or Elisa, sweet little Elisa, had a crush on me in seventh or eighth grade, though I was dating the lead of the middle school musical. It was, you know, very, very scandalous. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> the stuff of, of uh, you know, Shakespeare romances. And then I had a crush on sweet little Elisa in the ninth grade. She was dating an upperclassman. That was very, very scandalous, tore my heart into shreds. And we finally uh, started dating uh, properly in junior year of high school. And in, in the old days, we would have been told, well, you got to stay together, maybe get married, but you got to stay together through college, level and endure all. But because we grew up in this stupid modern culture, everybody around us said, no, you got to break up. You have to break up for college. Don't stay together for college. That's crazy. I, everybody around us said this. The whole culture said this. We, we just kind of grudgingly did it. And then we said, well, this is terrible. I don't, you know, don't want to date these other people. And then we got back together at the end of college and, uh, and then got married. So how did, how did I know sweet little Elisa was the one? I don't know. I probably knew since like eighth grade. And it was just the modern culture telling me, no, you can't get married yet. You have to go through college and you have to date all these yeah. different people and you need to go move to some city and you need to not ever consider love or marriage or family until you've made enough money and you're in your career and only pursue your own interests. So I think you're probably doing it a lot better than I did. And, uh, and you should, you know, the, the nice thing uh, with mine and sweet little Elisa's story is that it ends very, very happily. <laughs> we have just everything that we want. But, but it, it doesn't always for people. Sometimes people, they listen to the modern culture and it totally screws up your life. Don't let that stupid culture screw up your life. And uh, uh, best wishes for the birth of your first child, Margo. All right, next question from... Stephen in Alabama. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Michael. Um, yes, a big fan of the show. So I got a question for you. Um, we as conservatives say that we believe that uh, value, uh, value of life inside the womb is equal to a baby outside the womb. And I say we because I believe that as well. Um, but we don't treat it that way. And I'll give you an example. So if I was walking down the street and I had um, somebody runs up to me and they're like, hey, somebody's strangling a baby behind a dumpster, right? I would feel a moral obligation to use any means necessary to stop that person from strangling that baby behind that dumpster. Um, and just to be clear, I'm not advocating for any you know, particular action or anything like that, but it just seems like a mental kind of disconnect between the, the idea that we believe that those two things have the same amount of uh, same amount of value, but we react in a right. different way. That's a good question. The question taken to its logical conclusion is why don't we bomb abortion clinics? Right, is basically what you're asking, and it's a it's a real moral question. I see I see where the quandary comes from. the The short answer to that is because the civil authority has created this license for one of the most ghastly crimes that one could imagine, which is the murder of babies. But we can't just write that off. We can't just write off that the civil authority has tolerated this because we are obligated to respect the civil authority, at least to some degree. So that's why, that is why we don't just go out and bomb abortion clinics. That is why we don't react in exactly the same way as if, if, you, if you were told that a baby 
one week before being born is, is about to be murdered versus a baby one week after being born. Uh, even though the baby is essentially the same person in both of those cases. This, this is why the reaction is different. Because if, if we just went out and engaged in vigilantism all the time, one, it would, that would not be a, a moral thing to do in and of itself, because moral actions are not merely gauged based on the consequences that they have. They're, they're, uh, we, we measure moral the morality of actions based on the action themselves. Uh, but, but also because in, in consequence, it, it would probably harm the pro-life argument. It, it, it would not uh, advance the cause of life. It would not persuade people to, to overturn uh, ab- laws that permit abortion. Uh, but but I, I feel you. I, I certainly empathize with the, it. It is, it is essentially the same thing. To kill a baby a week after he's born, to kill a baby before he's born is the same action. Uh, but be, because because of this confounding factor that we live in society and because there is a civil authority, uh, the the political measures that that one is impelled to engage in as a result of that are different. And and this is this is a hard lesson even for Christians because St. Paul tells us that the, the civil authority does not bear the sword in vain. You know, the civil authority is put there by God for our good, that, that we have order and, and law, the rule of law in society, but the problem is sometimes the law is deeply unjust, and so what we have to do is is change the law, and what we have to do is is attempt to reconcile the the fallen, sometimes very very fallen and broken uh, laws that's reflected in civil life uh, with the eternal moral law. All right, now, very very good question though, very good question. Next question is from Kenneth in Montana. Hello, Kenneth. Michael, how are you? I'm better now that I'm talking uh, to you, Kenneth. How can I help you? Uh, say I uh, wanted to make a comment on uh, yesterday. You said that UFOs aren't real, mm-hmm. and you and uh, now I I agree with you that there's no evidence that they are real, but I I go along with that. Uh, universe is so big, but with me, it's I feel vain that believe that I'm the only sanctioned being that God created in this giant universe that he created. Why? Well, you're not the only sentient being. There are other sentient beings, but you, you do appear to be the only incarnate being with a rational will. So, so, I mean, you know, a little mouse is sentient to some degree. He, he can perceive things around him. Okay. That little mouse can feel pain. Uh, and angels and demons are, which, which uh, ironically, people do believe in aliens today. They don't believe in angels and demons, even though for all of human history, everybody believed in angels and demons and nobody believed in little green men. But I think actually that's why we believe in aliens now is because the culture's given up on the reality of spiritual beings like uh, demons and and uh, angels. But the idea, at least, whether you believe in them or not, the idea of a demon and an angel is that these are pure spirit. You know, they're pure intellect. They don't they don't have bodies. Some things are pure body. They don't have any intellect. My leftist tears tumbler, wise though the the uh, uh, implications of it, is not actually a conscious or sentient being. But you are. You're you're both. You're corporeal and you're you're conscious and and in, intelligent. So then you say, well, I just can't believe the the universe is so big. I just can't possibly be the only one. To which I would ask, why not? Well, I mean, I know like we're, we're, we're God's favorite 
we were created in his image. And I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, it could be that we're just, we're, yeah. Because yeah, th- this is I my, mean, when people say, well, it's, it's really, really big, the universe, and therefore statistically there's got to be more life. I say, well, I, I guess that sort of depends on how you think life begins. If you think that life is just a random chance, that life begins from a purely material process and uh, therefore... Well, no, life is created by God. Exactly. So uh, this is my point, is if you think that life is a very, very special thing, then there's no reason to believe that life is commonplace. It doesn't matter how big the universe is. If it's a really, really special, intentional thing, then there's no reason to believe it's it's really commonplace. If, however, as most, not as you believe, but as most modern people believe, if you think that life is just this random thing that kind of bubbles up and it's just purely material and it's pure random chance, then I guess you might believe that it that it's likely that life exists elsewhere in the world. But but then my question always to the people who say that is, well, okay tell me how life begins. <laughs> and they never can. You can get the fanciest scientist with the nicest white lab coat and stethoscope. He's not going to tell you anything, which is, by the way, this is the wisdom of the book of Job. When God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, you have so much understanding. Tell me where you were. Tell me how it happened. And, and that's what I want to ask all these modern liberal atheist people is, okay, you're so smart. You know, tell me, where were you when God laid the foundations of the earth? How does life begin? Because unless you can answer that question, then it's, it's completely meaningless to talk about the statistical likelihood that it happened anywhere else. Really, really good point, though, because I, I think that a lot of people, and even at various points in my life, I would have been inclined to believe as you do, well, the universe is so big, it's, there's probably life somewhere. But when you, when you really get down to the granular level of why that is the case, I think it comes up lacking. Okay, the rest of the show continues now. Member block is on. You don't want to miss it. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans, dailywire.com slash Knowles. We will see you in the member block.